Two places for you to turn to this morning, Luke chapter number 10 and Matthew chapter number 9. Luke chapter 10 and verse 36 and then Matthew chapter 9. The majority of the time this morning uh, will be in Matthew chapter 9, but I'm going to have you turn uh, to Luke chapter 10. And as you're turning there, uh, let me just uh, sort of give you some background here on the passage. Jesus is uh, going about in Luke chapter 10. And he's teaching and healing. And the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes, or if you will, the religious elites of that day, they are concerned about one thing, and that's tripping up Jesus and trying to get him uh, to say something that is wrong or incorrect. Uh, they're trying to, they're trying to uh, deceive him or rather fool him, get him to, to fall into one of their traps. And so they send a lawyer, if you will, an undercover agent, and he asks Jesus, what is the greatest command? And Jesus turns the question back around on him. And the man properly answers that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And then the man asks Jesus, he says, who is my neighbor? Isn't that like a lawyer? They want to get the, the technical details and try to find a loophole or some wiggle room. And so Jesus uh, then tells him the story that we call the story or the parable of the Good Samaritan. And to just recap it quickly, a man is on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he, um, he's jumped, if you will. He's beaten up, stripped naked, and left half dead in the ditch, and the men took everything he had. And as he's laying in the ditch, moaning and groaning and in pain, a priest walks by and sees him in the ditch, and the priest crosses the street and just flat out ignores the man. And then a Levite comes by, and he looks in the ditch, and he sees the man wounded, and then he crosses the street and leaves the man in the ditch. And then to rub salt in the womb of the Pharisees, the Samaritans were hated in their time. He says, a Samaritan man came by and saw the man in the ditch, and he got down and he helped him. He had compassion on him. He poured medicine into his wounds. Wounds. He put him on his own horse or his beast. He took him to the nearest hotel and he paid the hotel for the man to be able to stay there until he was better and said, listen, you continue to take care of the man on my way back on my trip. I will finish paying uh, for this man to be healed. And then he looks at the lawyer and he asks this question. Who is neighbor? Now, I want to pick up that right there with Luke chapter 10. If you would stand for the reading of God's word, I will read verses 36 and 37, and then we will turn to Matthew 9 and do our responsive reading there. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 36, and we see the question Jesus poses to this lawyer at the conclusion of the story. He says, which now of these three, speaking of the priest, the Levite, and the Good Samaritan, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor... Unto him that fell among the thieves, the, answer, the lawyer answers. And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Notice that phrase, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. Turn over to Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 27. Matthew chapter 9 verse number 27. Now, um, Jesus says to this man, Everyone is your neighbor. Those in need are your neighbor. Show mercy to those around you. Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 27. We'll read down through verse 30. I'll begin in 27. We'll begin together in verse number 28. Notice here the cry for Jesus to show mercy 
to his neighbor. Verse 27, And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when, and together, verse 28, And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said unto him, Believe ye that I am able to do this. They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. We are going to begin our fourth and final series this year of our theme, Love Works. The title of the series is Our Pattern, or The Pattern of Love. We're going to look at this title, Christ Loved His Fellow Man. Christ Loved His Neighbor. Christ Loved His Neighbor. What a great idea to look at how Jesus loved. And we can learn to love from the way Jesus loved. Let's pray. Lord, help us today to have a good understanding of what it means to love our neighbor, not just in theory, but from watching you in action. Lord, my prayer this morning is that each of us would be able to, in our own minds and hearts, transport ourselves to uh, that place in Capernaum where Jesus was, where he healed and helped so many people, where his compassion flowed from him. And Lord, may we be challenged and may we be inspired and may we be driven to leave this building and do the same that you did to love a hurting world around us. Lord, I ask today that if there's one amongst us that is yet to call on you for salvation, that they would do that before it is eternally too late, even before they leave the building today. Lord, we're thankful for salvation we have through you. We rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, this year our theme has been Love Works. Love works, a dual meaning there. Love works meaning it's effective, and love works meaning uh, we need to put it to work. Love will cause us to get to work. All year long we have been looking at the Scriptures to have a better understanding of how it is God wants us to love. We began the year way back in January looking at the series, The Properties of Love. The Properties of Love. And there we did our best to define love God's way. I made the point in that that series, uh, the overarching point was that our love is broken. Our idea of love is broken. Uh, In fact, we have mixed in the corruption of lust into our own love, and our love is contaminated. Our love is not proper, and we need to get our love we need to uh, uh, to refine out lust and better know how to love. You see, lust is selfish, whereas love is sacrificial. Lust is uh, about me, whereas love is about you. And lust looks to put me first. Love looks to put you first. And all of us, every one of us, because of the flesh, the world, and the devil, we all have some percentage of lust mixed into our love, and we need to refine that. We need to redefine that, if you will, uh, what love truly is. Uh, If you ever go hear an orchestra play, as I enjoy listening to orchestra music, it's very calming, and uh, if you ever listen to a really good orchestra, they have something called a tuning fork. Maybe the first chair violin or the first chair trumpet will 
play a note. And everyone in the orchestra looks to tune their instrument to match that uh, note. And so that when the, when the uh, orchestra director gets up there and he leads, boy, everyone is in tune with each other. Now, when it comes to our love, we all have our own definition of love. We all have our own idea of love, but God, God is love. God has given us a book that tells us how to love, and it is on me and it is on you to get in Tune with God's definition and idea of love in Scripture. So we began the year by looking at the properties of love. Then we turned our attention to our second series of sermons, and that series was the people I love. The people I love. The truth is, you listening now, God has called us to love everybody. Everyone. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, In that series, and I'm taking the time here to recap that series on purpose, because the series we're beginning today is going to parallel this series. Now, these notes I'm going to read here will not be on the screen, but just listen listen intently here. When we talked about the people I love, we looked at loving my heavenly Father. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Are we properly loving our Heavenly Father? Uh, we talked about, uh, when we talked about the people I love, we talked about loving my family. Everyone in here has family. I don't know anyone who's a part of our church that doesn't have some family in their life. Even if it's just grandparents or an aunt or an uncle or a nephew. Excuse me, I need to be in New England here. An aunt or an uncle, Right? Where I'm from, we call them ants, just like the things that crawl across the floor. But everyone has family in their life, and we need to love our family. Not just when they're lovable, when they're not so lovable. Um, So we talked about loving our Heavenly Father, loving family. Then we looked at loving my fellow man, loving my fellow man. And I gave you three sermons under that, loving my neighbor, loving the broken, Loving the brethren. Loving the brethren. By the way, sometimes loving the brethren is the hardest one. People you go to church with, right? You ever done a, had a business dealing with someone in church and thought, wow, that person can't even put their phone on silent. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if that's you, I'm sorry. I'm picking on you there. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, if we could all just take a moment, check our phones, make sure they're on vibrate so we don't disturb there. Um, if that was you, I love you. I'm sure whoever it is, I love you. I know everyone in the room, and I love you all. Amen? That was meant to be funny. Um, uh, but um, we need to love the brethren. We need to love the brethren. We need, we need to love our fellow man. Whether they meet our expectations or not, we need to love our fellow man. And then we finished out that series by talking about loving my foe or loving my enemy. Whew, that's a tough one. How many of you in here would say, whether or not you like it, whether or not you wish it was that way, there is someone on this planet who would consider you their enemy. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Someone on this planet would consider... Okay, some of you are raising two hands and two feet. Um, uh, Listen, we all, if you don't, then you just, you haven't lived life long enough or haven't put yourself out there enough. But at some point, we've either all had an enemy or we have an enemy. And if not, hang around, you will have an enemy. Okay? Someone's not going to like you. And 
How do you love those people? So we spent time looking at the people I love. Then we transitioned to our third series, and these have been scattered throughout the calendar year. We looked at the power of love, the power of love. And in that, in that uh, series, we saw that love is a powerful, powerful force. Um, I talked about this in the sermon I preached about uh, being neighborly or loving, loving your fellow man, your neighbor. But we have fixing people all wrong. We think that when someone misbehaves, that we can be mean to them. And by being mean to them, we can get them to change. We all do it. We're all at least tempted to do it. Right? You don't like the way your wife does something or your husband does something. So you you yell at them or you give them a cold shoulder or you give them the passive-aggressive treatment. Right? Someone cuts you off in traffic and then you get passive aggressive with them in traffic, right? Uh, or you don't like the way your boss is handling you at work and so uh, maybe you give them a little bit of an attitude. What, do you, what are we trying to do? We're trying to manipulate people to change based on being mean to them. And what I have learned, my friend, is that being kind and loving someone through their shortcomings is far more effective than being mean to someone. Last night, I'm going to tell my wife here, all right, I'll pay for this later. Last night, I walked in the bathroom to brush my teeth. And I picked up the toothpaste, and the cap was not on the toothpaste. <sighs> Let me tell you why that was a problem. Because the previous night, the cap was not on the toothpaste. And she said she didn't do it. Sure, right. Um, my wife has a habit of putting the lid on the toothpaste and screwing it part of the way back, but not all the way back. And then I am the guy that likes the toothpaste pushed all the way to the top. So I pick up the toothpaste and analyze it, and it appears the cap is on. So I start pushing toothpaste from the bottom to the top, only to have it spray out the top of the cap, and then the cap is dirty. And then I'm sitting there with my pinky trying to dig the, the toothpaste out of the top of the cap, and I'm, I'm getting irritated. And then I go to bed in a bad mood. Is really uh, being in a bad mood over a tube of toothpaste, is it worth it? The answer is no. Kindness goes a whole lot further than being mean. And i got to say, I have to tell it myself, I was uh, not angry or uh, ugly, but I was firm. And I told her, put that lid back on that toothpaste. Amen? And we shared a little laugh out of it. At least I shared a laugh out of it. Love is a powerful force. Love goes a long ways toward God changing people. You know what? I can't change you and you can't change me. But God can change someone. And God needs you to love that person in order for them to be changed. The power of love. Number four, our our fourth series, our last series of the year, we're going to look at the pattern of love. The pattern of love. Um, Who... Whose life offers us the best example of how to love? The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? 
We should really, if we're going to have a series on love in 2020 or whenever, we should really look at how Jesus loved people if we want to have that example put right out in front of us. So Jesus is our pattern. And so how do I love my heavenly father? How do I love my family? How do I love my fellow man, my neighbor, the broken, uh, uh, the brothers and sisters in the Lord? How do I, how do I, uh, I love my enemy? The answer is I look to the life of Jesus and see how he did it. And then I go forth and do it the way he did it. And boy, I'm so glad that we have the gospel account from four different perspectives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to give us four different angles on how Jesus loved his enemies, how Jesus loved the Heavenly Father, how Jesus loved his family, how Jesus loved his fellow man. This shows me how we can go about doing it. So if we turn our attention today on how to love our fellow man, how to love our neighbor. And uh, we look at how Jesus went about Loving his neighbor. Notice that Jesus uh, affirmed the declaration of the lawyer in the book of Luke. He said, the lawyer said, the one who shows mercy is neighborly. And Jesus said, then go and show mercy. Then these men call out to Jesus and say, we're blind, son of David. Show us mercy. And Jesus does just that. Jesus loves his neighbor. My proposition this morning is simple. I propose that many of us, listen closely, need to focus less on our own lives and focus more on showing mercy to others and their lives just like Jesus did. His ministry was not to build His earthly kingdom. His ministry was to pour Himself into others. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we get the mission statement of Jesus' life. Maybe the second most important verse in the Gospels. Luke 19 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to pour himself into his neighbor. Jesus was invested in loving his neighbor. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you invested in loving your neighbor. Let's look at three truths from Matthew chapter 9 as we consider our pattern, Jesus Christ, and consider how he loved his fellow man, how he loved his neighbor. Number one, point number one, if you have a bulletin this morning, I would encourage you to fill in the blanks there on the back of that bulletin and go back and uh, dive deeper into the passage than we will even uh, this morning. Number one, notice Christ's compassion on his neighbor. Christ's compassion on on his neighbor. Now, uh, Jesus' home base growing up was the city of Nazareth. But shortly after Jesus began his ministry, he went to the city of Nazareth and they rejected him. They, the, and Jesus would say on his way out of town, a prophet is without honor, save within his own country. A prophet has honor everywhere except for where people are most familiar with him. And so Jesus would leave Nazareth and uh, establish a new headquarters. And the new headquarters would be the city of Capernaum. Now, uh, uh, he showed compassion on his neighbor. All throughout Matthew 9, we see Jesus being neighborly. We see Jesus showing compassion. In fact, uh, look at verse number 1 with me in Matthew chapter 9. The Bible says, And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. So where is Jesus going? He's going to his headquarters. He's going to his dwelling place. He's going to the city he calls home. He's going to 
Capernaum. And we see in verse 2, down through verse 5, that Jesus showed compassion by healing the palsied man. By healing the palsied man. Look at verse number uh, 2 there. It says, And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy. This would have been a man who is a crippled man. Lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. So Jesus gets off the boat, comes across the Sea of Galilee, gets off the boat in Capernaum. He's just a few feet off the boat, and some folks bring a, a hospital bed, if you will, or a cot, uh, with their, with their buddy on him, and, and he's laying on that bed, and they say, Jesus, can you help us with our friend here? And the very first thing Jesus does is he does not worry about the man's physical condition. He heals the man's spiritual condition. He gives him salvation. Jesus was able to look down in the heart of the man and see that the man had faith and the man was ready to be saved and Jesus saved the man. And then in verse 5, we find that Jesus would take away his palsy and the man would stand up off that cot, he would roll up his bed and he would walk away. Why? Because Jesus had compassion on his neighbors. Notice in verse 9, Jesus had compassion by recruiting Levi or Matthew the publican. Levi or Matthew the publican. Look down at verse number 9. The Bible says, and as Jesus passed forth from hence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. So a couple of uh, historical uh, points on this. Tax collectors in Bible times, historically, were dirty crooks. And there was not a lot of oversight by the Roman government. Let's say you owed the Roman government 5% of your income in taxes. Or let's say it was 15% of your income in taxes. Well, that tax collector would come and he would lie and say you owed 25% of your income in taxes. And then he would give 15% uh, up to the Roman government and he would take the other 10% and he would put it in his pocket. Boy, people didn't like tax collectors. Because they have the power to take your money, much like the IRS does today. And you couldn't stop them. People knew that publicans or tax collectors were crooks and there was nothing they could do about it except socially reject them. And oh, I'll tell you, these tax collectors were rich in money, but they were poor relationally. Here Jesus walks up to a tax collector named Matthew or Levi, Levi's surname Matthew, and he says to Levi, he says, Quit what you're doing and come and follow me. He had compassion on a man that was a social reject. Jesus said, I want to have social interaction with you. You see Christ's compassion here. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, we see that Jesus' compassion drew the publicans, those are other tax collectors, and sinners. And generally speaking, when you see Publicans and sinners together, the, the word sinners is referring to harlots or prostitutes. Look at verse number 10. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. I've heard the argument that it's okay to hang out with uh, bad people because Jesus hung out with sinners. Let me be really clear here. Jesus did not hang out with sinners. Jesus drew sinners to him because they wanted to be changed by him. Jesus was not sitting around with a doobie between his fingers. 
Jesus was not sitting around, Hey, dude, what's up? What's up, man? Yeah, we're going to be cool. No, Jesus was filled with compassion, and sin had broken these people, and they were coming to Jesus to be healed. Now, we'll see in a few minutes how the Pharisees felt about that. But I'll just ask you this, neighbor. When your neighbors see you, do they see someone who is filled with compassion? When they have a need arise in their life, when sin has broken their life, do they come running to you because they just sense that you have compassion? It was very common in those days that Jesus would eat in the house of a religious elite. They would invite him in and he would eat. And listen, he would sit down to eat and then they wouldn't close the front door and publicans and sinners would come flooding in and would sit at the feet of Jesus. Because he had the life-saving power that they needed. Jesus' compassion healed the palsy man. Jesus' compassion recruited Matthew or Levi the publican. Jesus' compassion drew the publicans and sinners. Notice in verse 18, Jesus' compassion aided Jairus, a grieving father. Look down at verse 18. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying... My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. That's an immense amount of faith. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Look down at verse 23. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house, and saw the minstrels, these are hired mourners, and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And the fame hereof went abroad into all the land. Boy, Jairus saw that he had a daughter that had died. And Jairus thought, I need someone who could help. Now understand, Jairus was part of the religious elite. But when push came to shove, he knew that Jesus was the real deal. And he said, that man may be compassionate enough to come and help me. He went to Jesus, and Jesus went and raised his daughter from the dead. We see that Jesus' compassion healed the palsy man. It recruited Matthew the publican. His compassion drew the publicans and sinners. His compassion aided Jairus, who was a grieving father, and brought his daughter back to life. Jesus' compassion, look down at verse number 20, healed the woman with an issue of blood. So as Jesus is walking to Jairus' house, there is a woman who had a disease, an issue of blood, and Jesus would heal her. Look at verse 20. And behold, a woman which was healed with an issue, or rather, which was diseased with an issue of blood, 12 years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment, for she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about and saw, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Wow. Here Jesus is just walking from point A 
to point B. He's got a crowd around him, and there's a woman who has a disease, an issue of blood. She's been to all the doctors she can go to, and there's no, no way she can be helped. And she thinks, that compassionate man up there, Jesus, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, I could be made whole. And she reaches out and touches his clothes, his robe, and she's healed. We get this story in another gospel account where Jesus stops and says, Who touched me? And the disciples say, What are you talking about, Jesus? The crowd throngs you. It presses against you. It moves you around. What do you mean, who touched you? He says, No, virtue left me. Virtue left me. You know what that means? Some of Jesus' compassion flowed out of that robe and made that woman whole. Wow, what a day the Lord is having. Then we see that his compassion would heal two blind men. Look down at verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, the blind men followed him crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. There's that, have mercy on us. Be neighborly to us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, picture this in your mind as I read it. Believe ye that I am able to do this. These two blind men standing in the house, Jesus may be sitting, and they're standing right beside him. Maybe he's holding them by the hands. And then said, uh, uh, then they said unto him, Yea, Lord, then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it, but they, when they were baptized, or rather they, when they departed, spread abroad his fame in all the country. And I've heard preachers give these guys a hard time. He told you not to say anything, and you went forth and told everyone. I say we cut these guys a little bit of slack. I mean, they've been blind their whole life, and Jesus gives them their sight, and they're able to see. Imagine never seeing, and opening your eyes for the first time and seeing God's beautiful creation. Uh, would you really be able to contain yourself? I don't think I'd be able to contain myself. And so I cut him a little slack here. But let's look at how Jesus' compassion, in his compassion, he healed these blind men. What a day Jesus is having. Boy, he's gotten off the boat and he hasn't stopped. His neighbors have needed him and he's loved on his neighbors. But yet his day is still not through. Look at verse number 32. When we see Jesus' compassion healed a demon-possessed deaf-mute man. The Bible calls someone who is deaf and mute, the Bible calls them dumb. Now, this is not intellectually challenged. This is someone who cannot hear and cannot speak. Look at Matthew 9, verse 32. As they went out, again, imagine this in your mind's eye as we read. Behold, they brought to him a dumb man. So he walks out of the house where he's healed the blind men. And a dumb man or a, a deaf mute man approaches him, uh, possessed with the devil. So this man is also demon possessed. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. What a day. Jesus gets off the boat there in Capernaum. He, he gets out of the port. He's just barely uh, got his feet on land. And a bed is brought to him with a palsied man. And Jesus looks down at the man with compassion. And he saves the man's soul. And then touches the man's body. And he bang, stands up off the bed. And he walks out. And then Jesus goes and he sees a man who's an outcast, a, a society. He's rich, but he's poor. And Jesus looks at Levi and he says, You 
follow me. And the man gets up from his station, he leaves his job, and he follows Jesus. And then right on the heels of that, he sits down to have a little bit of lunch, and publicans and sinners come flooding in at his feet so they can be healed and hear the words of Jesus to be helped. He gets up from lunch, he walks outside, and Jairus is standing there in a panic. And Jairus says to the Lord, he says, uh, my daughter has died, can you come and raise her back to life? So Jesus makes the trip to Jairus' house. And in route, a woman who is sick reaches out and touches his garment and is made whole. Jesus then walks into Jairus' house. He takes the little girl by the hand and gives her her life back. He walks out of Jairus' house. He's walking down the road and two men are standing by a house and they cry out and say, Son of David, have mercy upon us. Jesus walks into the house. He takes the two men by the hands and He gives them their sight back. He stands up from that. He walks outside of the house and there's a deaf mute man who's demon possessed brought to Jesus a crowd gathers he exercises the demon and the man is able to hear and speak wow you talking about someone going home and loving on their neighbors I would say Jesus did just that Jesus is our example now I can hear the critic in the room but pastor come on now I am not God. I can't raise people back to life. And I can't give blind people sight. And I can't make a palsy man walk. And, and, and listen, I, there, you know, I, I, am I supposed to take a woman who is diseased that doctors can't help and have her touch my, my jacket and be whole? I mean, come on, Pastor. And here's what I would say to you. These people were not just drawn to Jesus because of His God powers. They were drawn to Jesus because He was compassionate. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many people in America and across the world each day commit suicide? How many folks die of a drug overdose? How many people right now are sitting at home depressed and deflated with a dark cloud over their head? How many people are going through a divorce situation? Their whole world is turned upside down. You see, you may not be able to take a little girl and raise her back from the dead, but you can be kind to someone who is suicidal. And give them a reason to live. You may not be able to touch the eyes of someone who is blind and give them sight. But you can take someone who is spiritually blind and lead them to the truth. You may not be able to reach down and touch someone who is physically crippled. But you can come into someone's life with your compassion. Find someone who is crippled by fear and set them free. You, you may not be able to get a demon exercised out of someone and see them be able to speak and hear again. There are people in your life that Satan has a stronghold on them. Through your compassion, you can be their friend. You can set them free. You know, many of us here, and listen up, Listen up, everyone. Stay focused on the message. Don't be distracted. 
Many of us here are so busy focused on ourselves that if someone walked past us and they were hurting, we wouldn't even know it. When was the last time you looked someone in the eye and said, that person is hurting? That person needs me to show them the love of Jesus. Are we being neighborly? We see Christ's compassion on his neighbors. Number two, notice Christ's criticism from his cynics. Christ's criticism from his cynics. Now, you would think that everyone would rejoice at the sight of these miracles, these people being helped, but unfortunately, that's just not the case. There were people who were not so happy that these things were happening. Um, We have an expectation of never being criticized. And can I tell you right now that that expectation is a bad expectation to set. I was told once that if you want to get your head lopped off, stick it above the crowd. I was also told that if you never want to be criticized, then stay home and do nothing. I'll criticize you for being lazy. But if you're at home, you won't even know it. Amen? Those who do things get criticized. Watch me now. Those who lead get criticized. I was, in a little, I was in for a little bit of a rude awakening when I took the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church in June of 2016. You see, I had served in church ministry for several years, seven, eight years prior as an assistant pastor in two different church ministries. And my wife and I, uh, to my knowledge, did not have a single person that did not like us in any ministry we were in. In fact, everywhere we went, we were very, very loved, mainly because of Angela, because they didn't know about the toothpaste or they wouldn't have liked her, amen? Um, uh, mainly because of Angela, but, but uh, we did not have an enemy. Boy, I led volunteers in ministry, and people were very loyal to me and loved me, and I just sort of had this expectation, I'm going to slide in to the pastorate position, of a church, uh, a, a good church, and White Oak Baptist was and is a good church, uh, a well-run church, which it was. Pastor Pezelak did a great job. I'm going to slide in there, and boy, everyone's just going to keep on loving me. You know what I found about six months in? Just because I was the pastor and I was making tough decisions, no matter how kind I was about it, there were people who just decided they were not going to like me. Pastor Lejeune has faced some criticism Criticism. I'm having a hard time with that word this morning. Don't criticize me about how I say criticism. Amen? <laughs> Pastor Lejeune has faced some criticism over the last four and a half years. Some people have not been very nice to me on Facebook. Some people have gotten together and had me for lunch while they were having lunch. Um, uh, some people have questioned my decision making. And that's okay. That comes with the territory of being the leader. But you know what I've learned is that if you're going to lead... People, by default, are going to criticize. If you're going to love people, you will get criticized. Your motives will be called into question. It's not a might happen. It absolutely one day will happen. Be prepared. Let me show you. Letter A, notice the scribes. Now, the scribes are those who wrote out the Bible. They were masters in the scrolls there in the synagogue and in the temple. Look at Matthew chapter 9, look at verse number 1. 
And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. All right, and you think, wow, this is great. This man just saved that guy, just gave him forgiveness of sins. That is incredible. And I'm sure that's what most people thought, but not the scribes, not the religious elite. Look at verse 3. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? And in verse 5, he'd go on and make the man walk, as if to say, Do you need any more proof? Letter B, notice the Pharisees. The Pharisees. Look at verse number 10. Matthew 9, look at verse number 10. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. All right, so here's Jesus. He has sat down in a home. He's eating a meal. And publicans and sinners, the quote-unquote moral scum of society, have filed into the house to sit and be uh, uh, healed by Jesus or instructed by Jesus or helped by Jesus. Now, you and I would think that's a good thing. Look at verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto the disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? You see the pious? You see the arrogance? A word that was used in our Sunday school or my life group this morning, one of the men used the phrase self-righteous. You see how self-righteous they are? Now, I just want to interject this here. I wonder how many folks at White Oak Baptist Church would complain and criticize, and one day we may do this, and one day I plan on doing this, but let's say we had a push where we invited the homosexual community to come into our church so we could give them the gospel. And we had a day where we had a draw and we pulled them in so they could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and we could show them the love of Christ. Boy, there would be people in this church who would criticize that decision. Publicans and sinners in our church! You're being a Pharisee. Some of you are really uncomfortable right now. I'm not talking about endorsing what God calls sin. I'm talking about helping people who need help. What if we had a day where we drew alcoholics into the building? Alcoholics and drug uh, abusers. And we said, we're going to have a day where we get them here and we love on them. And we show them the love of Jesus. And the person sitting next to you in the pew that day happened to have alcohol on their breath. And listen, church is to be a spiritual hospital. And we're to love on those people. We're to show them the love of Jesus. We're not to come here and have a country club mentality. Jesus was loving on these people. And those people there were saying, how dare your master hang out with that crowd? I guarantee you, if you try to show compassion, you're going to get criticized. We'll come back and look at the Pharisees again in just a moment with verse 34. But first, let's look at letter C, the scorners. The scorners. Now, when I was a kid, this story here would always make me laugh. And probably it was the way my dad told the story in our family devotions, but it always made me laugh. Look at Matthew 9, verse 23. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels, again, these are the hired mourners, and the people making a noise. They're, oh, they're just carrying on. He said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. 
and they laughed him to scorn. Now, I want you to imagine this. Jairus' daughter is, is dead, and they have gone and they have hired people to come and mourn. Now, uh, the way most of the world does mourning and funerals is quite different than the way it's done here in the U.S. of A. I've talked to someone who's Puerto Rican, and they've confirmed it's done this way. My wife is from Peru, and so I'll share with you how they do it there. Miss Rose Kai and Brother Jacob Kai sat over here in the 830 service, and they confirmed that this is how it's even done in their African country. But when someone dies in Peru, they don't have a two-hour visitation and an hour-long funeral, and then you go to the graveside and you're there for a few minutes and leave. No, it's an all-day, all-night thing. I mean, they, they, they're up and they're mourning and they're weeping and, you know, it's almost like a show is being put on. And there's tears and sobbing and people come in and, and you're expected to be over the top with your emotions. And then they take the casket and they walk it down the street like a parade with people walking behind and crying and, and almost uh, not putting on a show, but just very expressive in their feeling. And then they get to the place where they are going to lay the body to rest. And they don't just have a quick prayer and, 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 and Scripture reading and leave. No, they, they stay there while that casket is lowered in the ground and the dirt is put on top. There's weeping and they're sobbing and they had hired minstrels to put this on. So here Jesus walks up on the front porch and these hired mourners are there and they're, oh, this is awful. Poor little girl died and they're just crying. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 what are you guys crying for? She's not dead. She's just asleep. And these people on a dime go from, oh, ha, 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 they start laughing at Jesus. Oh boy, they were, really, they were really compassionate, weren't they? They were really compassionate toward that family. Not. And so Jesus walks in and he heals them, but they were, he was scorned in the process. Again, I guarantee you, if you're going to show compassion on the world, expect criticism. Go back to verse number 34. Rather, verse 32. Look at verse 32. And they went out, behold, they brought uh, unto, uh, to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never so seen in Israel. Uh, can you imagine being in the crowd that day? This deaf, mute man is brought and he's flailing around. He's, he's, he's cutting himself. He's demon-possessed. And Jesus cast the demon out of the guy. And the man starts speaking. And the man can start to hear, oh my goodness, that would be incredible to witness. But not everyone was impressed. Look at verse 34. The Bible says there, But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. There's nothing like a good cynic to show up and ruin everything. Here Jesus is doing good. His intentions are right. His motives are right. He's showing compassion on his neighbors. And he is criticized. I'm almost done with the message this morning, but let me just say this before we get, get to number three. Don't let the critic keep you down. Some of you faint in the face of criticism. Many Christians need to grow some thicker skin. You take a stand for Jesus and you're doing what's right and you're doing it with the right attitude and someone mocks you and makes fun of you or questions your motive or criticizes you, just smile and keep on going. You need to expect criticism, not be surprised at it. 
Some of you here used to live a different life and you have uh, friends who are are lost and even living in sin and wickedness and they make fun of you now because you are a holy roller. You're a holy Joe. You're a Bible thumper. and uh, uh, You go to church all the time. You turn into a radical fundamental nut, they call you. Hey, you be a radical fundamental nut for Jesus and you let them call you a name and you just keep on going. Number three, lastly, notice Christ's challenge to his disciples. Look at at verse number 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Look here. Don't just let your eyes go over the word. Absorb this. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now I know that if you've been going to church any length of time, you're familiar with verses 35 through 37. But I hope the message today has given you a new perspective on this passage. Jesus spent his entire day, that day, when he got off the boat in Capernaum, healing and helping and loving and showing compassion pouring himself out on the crowds and on the masses and on the individuals and teaching and, 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 and saving people. And then uh, he's, he's, he does it even through criticism and, and those who are cynical and, and, and those who uh, want to critique him and accuse him of things that are not true. He gets done in Capernaum and he goes to the next town and then the next village and then the next town and then the next village and he does all that he can do and then he stands on the outskirts of Jerusalem and he looks down into the city and he begins to weep. And he, he, he looks at each of these people and he sees what we can't always see. You see, kind of like Superman just saw through people, the, the fictional character Superman, Jesus looked down and he saw that man's going through a broken marriage. That woman's on the brink of suicide. That little boy's an orphan. That young lady is troubled with drugs, drug addiction. That person over there uh, isn't getting along at work. That person over there is homeless. Jesus looks down and sees all of these people and all of these diseases and all of these sicknesses and all of this brokenness and He begins to weep. And He turns and He looks at His disciples. If you will today, put yourself in the crowd with His disciples and pretend as though Jesus is speaking to you. He's crying. Tears are running down His cheeks. And He says, I have been neighborly, but I need your help to go out there and show mercy to the masses. I need you to be an extension of Me. Boy, you go home today, instead of having an adversarial relationship with your neighbors, how about you love them? You get on the train tomorrow to go to work, or the bus tomorrow to go to work, or in traffic tomorrow to go to work, how about instead of honking at the guy that cuts you off, out of anger, you stop and pray for him? Boy, Jesus' challenge is twofold. Number one, be a laborer. Be a neighbor. 
Number two, pray that God will send more laborers, more neighbors. The harvest is plenteous. The needs are great. But those who are actually being neighborly are few. How about you, Christian? Are you loving the world like you ought to? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. How many here, how many of you here would say, Pastor Lejeune, through the life of Jesus this morning out of Matthew chapter 9, it has become apparent to me that I am not doing enough to love my neighbor. I've been a little too self-centered. Pastor, pray for me that God would help me to show compassion to a broken world. To be a good neighbor. If that's you this morning and that's your prayer, don't hesitate. Would you hold your hand up right there? Pastor, I need to be a better neighbor. I've been too self-centered, self-focused. I need to love the world around me the way Jesus did. Thank you. You can put them down. How many here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, I am just going through an awful time in my life right now. I am bearing a burden that just seems too heavy for me. and My heart is heavy. My life is, is just miserable, especially when I'm focusing on this need. And Pastor, I need you as my pastor to pray for me. I'm going through a difficult time today. Pastor, would you please pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and slip it right back down? I, I need a pastor's prayer. You don't have to tell me what it is per se. I'm open. I'm available. You can come tell me. But if you need me just to pray for you generically, hold that hand up and I'll pray for you. Amen. I see those hands. Some of you I know the need. Others of you I don't. I want you to know I'm available to you anytime you need me. If there's one here today that's not yet put their faith and trust in Jesus to save them, boy, the very first need Jesus wants to heal is not your physical need, it's your spiritual need. Will you open up your heart today and let Him be your Savior? Let Him take your sins away. Lord, I pray that during this time of invitation that we would make decisions to be a better neighbor that we would love our fellow man the way you loved your fellow man there in Capernaum and abroad. Lord, do a work in our hearts. Help us to leave here others conscious. May we love others the way you have loved others. In Jesus' name.